Hey, Rebecca, how are you? I'm great, Kara. How are you? I'm good. I, I, this was good. We recorded this on uh, the day that Daylight Savings ends in America, so we got like an extra hour today. It was, was great. so nice. So nice. Ugh. I got so much done. <laughs> yeah, it was um, amazing. So welcome to the podcast, Imperfect. I'm Kara Bartek. And I'm Rebecca Nisko. And today we are joined by Dodie Elgabri, who is a budding filmmaker, as mm-hmm. he likes to call it, mm-hmm. um, and um, also um, has his own startup in the entertainment industry, which we will get into as well. Um, Called Cinnabar, which is awesome. It was really yes. interesting to hear about that. And also cool to like have someone that has a... Uh, I think we just have interviewed a lot of artists who mm. are... And rightfully so, like, focused on their art, but not so much have a business. So that was awesome to talk to somebody who does have a business. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And how that contributes uh, to their day-to-day work and life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation. I think there was a lot of really interesting stuff that we talked about. And yeah, I, I'm excited for you to listen. So we enjoy. hope you enjoy. <laughs> Good. <laughs> based in uh, the UK, but I'm actually Greek-Egyptian, so half Greek, half Egyptian. Um, right now, I'm a graduate student at the London Film School. So yeah, I'm also a budding filmmaker. <laughs> but um, on the side, um, I actually manage my own startup uh, in the entertainment industry, or specifically in distribution of uh, films. Um, and that's really exciting. I'm excited to talk to you about Cinebur. Um, yes. But yeah, Sorry. I'm talking. I'm talking to you girls today because I really like what you're doing with oh. Imperfect. I have a lot of questions for you too. So oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Great. But, um, yeah, I, I just I love your spirit. I love your energy. Oh, thank you. And, thank um, you. Excited to to chat with you. Yeah, we're so we're excited to so have excited. you on. Our second thing that we always like to start on is we love to know how you what your journey has been to getting to where you are right now. <laughs> the reason I'm laughing is because yeah, I always avoid this question. <laughs> no, but like, how did you get into filmmaking? What well, is like, yeah. what, what interests you? Like, <clears throat> what has kind of yeah led to you to to be working where you're working now? Well, I mean, originally I have a background in computer science. Whoa, yeah. So <laughs> damn. Um, yeah, and before that, I I was studying law. Mm. Uh, oh my so god. It's, <laughs> Very it's a, different. Jeez. It's quite a, a journey indeed, but yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think, you know, besides studying anything or doing anything to get to where you're going, you have to first ask yourself where you want to get to, right? <laughs> um, and I think um, probably the best way to answer this question is just to say that, you know, I've always been a creative person and I've always wanted to end up in the creative industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's anything quite as satisfying as creating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and I'm a huge fan of the arts. I'm a huge fan of supporting the arts. Mm. And uh, I wanted to be part of it. Um, at the same time, I'm passionate about a couple of things. And that's community. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially community building. 
I also really like uh, to support independent and small businesses. Mm -hmm. So um, these are kind of where my passions lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I realize is as I continue to pursue these passions, I lead myself to certain domains. <laughs> and with a little uh, creativity and a couple of ideas, you, you know, come up with a few things on the side. Um, and yeah. I think, you know, that's how, that's how I'm here. I mean, it's quite early in the podcast to talk about it, but how do you approach a project where you might not be thrilled about what you're working on, but you are, you know, your, your mindset, like, I mean, I don't want to speak for your mindset, but, but you know it's something you have to work on and you want to take the opportunity to do it. Like, how do you get through the project? How do you get through working on something like that? Have you experienced something like that before? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll, I'll give you a recent example. I'm editing this uh, short film. Mm -hmm. I was initially reluctant to, to work on, um, you know, simply because I, I wasn't into editing, I, I wasn't into the film, I, you know, for a variety of reasons. But I think, you know, passion, like, is something that you need to think about um, and, and try and discover what the root of it is. When we say, you know, I'm a passionate filmmaker, that means nothing unless you know why. <laughs> uh, You're right. Like, You're so are, right. Are, are you interested in what? Like uh, uh, creating something for an eye? Are, are you interested in clapping the board? Are you like, what, what, is, what, what about it? Are you, are you passionate? Um, and yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's about creating something with other people. Um, that may not be the reason I'm very passionate about films, but at least for this project, I was really passionate about creating something um, with uh, people that I, I didn't know, I wasn't close with. But through the process, um, we learned a lot about each other and, and our relationship uh, grew. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's just about asking yourself, you know, why you do things. Um, <laughs> no one does anything in a vacuum. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. I think just, just, you know, asking yourself that, um, you, you're bound to find a good reason. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there, there, there are always jobs that just need to be done, even though you, you aren't, you know, particularly passionate in them. Um, but then it's just about seeing it in the long run, I think. Um, it's it's a hard thing to do like I know personally it's it's very difficult to look into the the future yeah. um, when when things are just not going well yeah. um, if you find failure after failure or rejection after rejection it's uh, <laughs> it's very difficult to be optimistic at that point um, uh, I know this because also my my composer friend he's facing a couple of rejections along the way but you know I have to just remind him that he has so much potential, you know, I like, uh, and it's just about encouraging each other in, in that way. So maybe, you know, another aspect to all of this um, in the topic of passion is, is who you surround yourself with, because it's so hard to be passionate if you're with people that just don't offer you any kind of support system. That is so such true. a good thing to say. I was just talking with my boyfriend last night and he was saying like, he's in this group chat. And at first he really, you know, he thought they were good people that he met on the set. But the longer this group chat went on, the more it was like people were being incredibly negative and they were saying like, oh my God, I'm never going to work in good of a movie as X, Y, Z. I forget the example. Let's just say, I don't know, 
Hurt Locker or something, you know, like, oh my God, I'm never going to work on a good movie like this. And he looked at it and he was like, I don't want to be with people that are just negative like that all the time, that you're already capping yourself before you've even had the opportunity to accept such an opportunity. I think you're mm-hmm. so right in saying and under and like highlighting and underscoring that point about the people around you. It's uh, such a fine line, though, yeah. because, you know, the other extreme is this toxic um, arrogance mm. that you, you also see, mm. um, which is just as discouraging. Uh, but it's really funny that you say this because I do see it a lot in the film industry, especially that people are just so negative mm-hmm. um, or pessimistic. Yeah. Um, and and I, I don't know what the balance is, honestly. I'm still trying to figure it out. But I think just, you know, loving what you do or finding things that you love in what you do. Um, I think that's p- pretty pure. Oh, that's so cheesy. No, 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 <laughs> so, no, no but, but yeah, just, just finding these, these little moments, um, genuine moments, you know? Yeah. Um, and th- those are things that you can share with others without this kind of toxic environment. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's so easy to like limit yourself into that negative box. Mm-hmm. And you're putting a cap on, on the possibilities and how you can continue to grow from where you are right now. And it's, it's, it's very easy to put yourself in that box. Um, but I guess also sort of realizing that only you are in charge of like your own destiny, not to have another cheesy quote in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. But, like your own path. Um, yeah. yeah. Yet you are truly the only one that can forge your own path. So yeah. Do you think you're good at what you do? Me? Whoa. Yeah. I mean, both of you. No, no, no. Like, I, I love I that it's, question. No, it's yeah, a good question. I, I, I don't mean to, you know, say it in the... In like an arrogant way, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> you're I, like I don't, good at I don't what you mean do. it. Yeah, like, but, but, but honestly, like... Yeah, yeah. Do you guys... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think That's Kara is great at what she does as well. Thank what you. about you, Kara? I feel like I am constantly on, like, the... Like, there's like if there's a line, I feel like I'm constantly teetering on this line of I'm I'm passing at what I'm doing. I'm good at what I'm doing. I am incredibly impersonating somebody that isn't me that is pretends to be me. Um, I'm terrible at what I'm doing. Syndrome. Yeah, I'm yeah. literally I feel like I'm always on this kind of like like a barometer almost. Like I feel like I'm but I got yeah. really great advice from a teacher of mine in college. Her name is Christina DeHaven. She's amazing. She said that Unless you have experienced that, like, oh, fuck, what am I doing? Or I'm really terrified to be doing this right now. That's how you know that you're in the right place. And so I hold on to that. I hold on to... I think the teetering thing is a really great visual because I think overall we can say, yeah, we're good. But we always have those projects where we're like, "Mm, okay, maybe I could have done better on that. You know, it wasn't my best work. Um, and of course there's always that, that like exponential, like line. I mean, I don't know. I did really bad in math, but like (laughs) exponential (laughs) graph where you're always like trying to get better. And because, you know, we're all students of life and we're Mm. never really truly a master of anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't want to quote so, Billie yeah. Eilish like I always do. I feel like at some point <laughs> in an episode, but she talks about how like it wasn't what she talks about like in an interview how like she doesn't want to, after COVID something that she doesn't want to take for granted anymore is like shows. Like she doesn't want to walk off a stage and say you know that was fine. 
Mm. And I think that that's a really interesting point where it's like, you know, we, we're, we're so like focused in on doing what we're doing and then we do something that we're not like proud of, but then we just like keep going. And it's like, eh, that was a, you know, for something that you are passionate and care about more so, you know, and, right. and, 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 and want to do, yeah. you know, and, and want to make and create. You want to be proud of that work. You want to feel yeah. good about that work. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But getting yeah. asked that question was really, um, I was really like, <laughs> like, generally, I do think I am good, but there are, like, Kara said, there are moments where it's like, okay. But then at the same time, it's like, you should be proud of all the work that you did and did, and yeah. you should put good work into all that you do for your passion. So it's like, how do you even answer that question? No, I, I, uh, <laughs> I think it's, it's, to- it's totally fine. It's, it's good that, that, that a person feels like they're good at their job. Yeah. Um, because I think it also links back to what we were saying about that negativity, that if you constantly, you know, um, blame yourself or, or, or badger yourself for not making it or, or think that you can't make it in the future, mm-hmm. um, you're killing your self-esteem. Mm. And of course, you know, arrogance isn't going to get you anywhere. Or at least, you know... <laughs> anywhere nice <laughs> but um I, I think it's it's really important for people to feel proud of their work and feel like you know they if given the chance that they, they can do well um do you and, feel and that you're good at what you really do important. uh no <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i like you cara i i am constantly you know um on the line uh there's there's there, there are many moments where I, I question if i'm the best person for the job and, you know, if I did find someone or, you know, many times there, there are people that you look up to that inspire you, motivate you. But like, like you could have done a better job than me at this or something like that. And, you know, imposter syndrome is, is a legit thing, um, which you have to like face. Um, yeah. But again, it's, it's really important that I think people feel very proud of their work and feel like they can they can power through and they can give part of themselves because I don't know about you girls but like work to me is is really important it's um I've got a very strong work ethic it's it's one of my core values maybe I'm a workaholic but um <laughs> it's something I I'm you know is very important to me so I think that work I produce in a sense defines me it it reflects who I am and what's important to me um so it's always a little bit disappointing if I can't give my best work somewhere. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's another thing. I think just dealing with it. Who are your favorite filmmakers? Oh, ah, uh, well. Or who but, do you I'm, like I'm right huge... now? Maybe I should phrase it that way. <laughs> Doesn't that take the pressure uh, of like? It's it's always it's always a mixture of right? yeah. yeah yeah because I'm a huge fan of directors who make movies for people <laughs> for like okay. a lot of people for a lot okay. of people so um, so who do you... i i love you know what what steel spielberg has done yeah, um, yeah sure sure i'm a huge fan of, of nolan even though yeah. i didn't like tenet you know like okay stuff like I that mean, you know i i, I, I don't want to shit I, on tenet I, yeah but what happened <laughs> i know i'm still not <laughs> sure what happened in the movie like the plot anyway continue uh don't get me started but yeah, um uh it still served its purpose for, so. for being a great piece of, of uh, entertainment, I think. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I totally appreciate directors who um, make work for, for large uh, audiences. And that's, that's really cool. Yeah. At the same time, I think, you know, 
my my heart there's a special place for filmmakers like Antonioni mm-hmm. um, I love other uh, Italian filmmakers yeah. like Fellini uh, but yeah Antonioni um, Angelopoulos who's yeah. a little bit more you know slow paced and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, meditative it's it's I, I don't think they reflect what kind of films I would make mm-hmm. but I feel like there's truth some kind of truth in their work mm-hmm. um, and every time I, I I feel like I can understand what a filmmaker is trying to say I feel so close to them um, and there's a really special connection that's that's built uh, between me as an audience member and and the piece of of work Um, and I think you know those are the kind of films that that resonate with me most Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's great Um, well my favorite filmmaker is Wes Anderson and I won't apologize (laughs) I am obsessed I watched French Dispatch twice now I want to see it again I talked about it already on episodes that probably have aired now Rebecca I don't know maybe tomorrow um no, not not tomorrow's up. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. I I I think that film is amazing. But he's very precise, and and I think about what you said about like there's only one way to tell the a film, which I which I think is definitely like a kind of philosophy. I don't know if I hold like fully agree with you, but I think it's also subjective, you know. And I think that just speaks to like our sensibilities, different sensibilities as different f- kinds of filmmakers. It doesn't mean mm. you're wrong, <laughs> you know, um, because I think it's just like. An, an, an approach I mean I just watched Jules and Jim uh, yeah Jules and Jim for the first time by Truffaut and I'm still sitting with it I watched it last night with my mom and, and it, it's it's really interesting because to me that film really like watching it now you get a sense of the period of transition that was with happening within filmmaking that that film comes out at you know it seems very like the the language is starting to change but it's this bridge between what film language is nowadays with something like Tenet or something like um Dune and then like where it was in the 30s and the 40s with like a Chaplin picture or I don't know Ben-Hur you know (laughs) like these other films that not that Jules and Jim at all is like those big blockbusters but it it because it's French movies but like the I agree. I think I like. I'm definitely more on like uh, my sensibilities are for quiet, quieter, smaller films that I like mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. What to you is magical in filmmaking? What's like something that has inspired you, or that you've applied yourself, either in editing or directing, that is like magic to you? Oh, this is this is a wonderful question because I was I was thinking about it a lot. Magic of cinema. To me, it's. Going in a cinema, mm-hmm. and there's this very special moment. It's almost like a ritual yeah. <laughs> before the, the movie begins. I remember doing this in the French Dispatch, too, because I think that was the, the <laughs> film I saw most recently. So good. But before, before the movie starts, yeah. but after the lights go down, yeah, yeah. I'm sitting in, in my seat, and I actually look back at the audience. <laughs> and, and you see their faces yeah, yeah. and you see the light just kind of reflecting off their their glasses or their eyes or munching yeah. on their popcorn and the movie's about to start and you see the flickering light of the projector yeah. Yeah. and they're just so ready to be uh-huh. taken away to yeah. this other world mm-hmm. and that to me is magic you know mm-hmm. bringing people together to experience something 
so incredible. Um, and, and that's always what, what I maintain to be the, the, the end goal of, of whatever kind of film I make. I, I want to make films for an audience. I want to make films for people to bring them together and share that magic of cinema. Um, this might so, be yeah. a good place to transition into your startup, which does distribution, which is, you know, I think a part of film that people don't really think that much about. So tell us a little bit about your startup and where did the idea for that come from? Sure. So Cinnabur, um, as you said, it's a distribution company, but that's a boring way of saying it. <laughs> the sexy way of saying it is like, it's a movie going platform, yeah, uh, the yeah, Airbnb yeah. for movie nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, uh, that's, that's pretty much it. We're a tech company, but we focus on in-person delivery of films. And what that means is that we've essentially created a new market for filmmakers to screen their work. Mm. How it works is that anybody uh, who's on Cinebr can host a movie night without thinking about the licensing hassles of movies, um, which is a very annoying <laughs> hassle. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we focus on delivering films through our, our tech and people can host movie nights. And the cool thing about that is that uh, moviegoers get access to these really unique screenings mm-hmm. um, hosted by people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get access to independent films that would otherwise not be screened. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, filmmakers uh, have a new market to distribute their work and they earn royalties from, from the tickets yeah. that are sold on the Fabulous. platform. Um, it's, it's really cool because it's like going back the full circle. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Georges Maillet mm-hmm. at that time in the early days of cinema. I think literally the first screening was held at a, at a cafe, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, in, in France. Yeah, in, like in the back room or something like that. In the back, yeah, yeah. yeah, like a basement or, or some, something yeah. like that. And people just gathered together for, for cafe and, and magic. That, yeah. That's what they were in for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really cool that we're sharing this magic in places that cinema is just not accessible to people. And mm. I, I think that's probably the most important takeaway of this. Cinema isn't just, you know, films. Mm-hmm. Cinema is, is an experience. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's the end goal. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, you said this uh, earlier that not a lot of people think about distribution. But, you know, distribution is, is part of cinema. Uh, the film means nothing if it's not watched by anybody. And I don't know about you girls, but like, I think it'd be a really darker world if the only way we consumed films was through, you know, Netflix in our laptops, in in our rooms, (laughs) isolated. Um, Yeah. 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 It it definitely changes the experience. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I had another professor who was kind of kooky. He was wonderful, but kind of kooky. But um, when it came to like editing our work, in that class that semester he would walk around the editing bays and be like what are you doing you're you're you know you're in premiere and it's like this small the windows this yeah. big that you're it's like, yeah. you know I'm, I'm holding up my fingers for the viewers at home it's like you know two inches by two inches four inches by four inches whatever <laughs> and what are you doing make it big you can't you can't edit when you don't when you look at it so small and he would take it he would make the make it full screen and then he would press play and the film would just read so much different and that's just going from like something that is probably like the size of your iPhone just in your computer window to just your computer screen size. Yeah. yeah. Like imagine that like in a big theater. It's 
it definitely changes and like the close-ups <laughs> become more oppressive and the wides become too short <laughs> you know almost yeah you have enough time to take everything in yeah at least in my but experience I, th- I think even beyond the technical aspects yeah. of the craft yeah. you kind of rethink filmmaking mm-hmm. and its fundamentals uh when you think about an audience mm. um I've been in Cinnabur screenings held by locals where, you know, like random people around the neighborhood have just bought tickets to attend cinema because they don't have a cinema nearby. And, you know, these people, they might not be seeing many art films. Yeah, <laughs> we were, yeah, we were yeah. Screening, we were screening Blanca Nieves by Pablo <laughs> Berger, which is a black and white silent film uh, made in, in 2012. Um, it was so much better than The Artist, but because of The Artist, it just no one, no one watched that film. Um, but, um, yeah, this is a pretty, you know, artistic film, uh, yeah. not your, not, not the avatar. That yeah, people, not blockbuster type. Movie. Yeah, yeah. But, um, what I, what I noticed is that no matter the background of, of the audience members, when the emotion was clear, mm. um, that was the strongest storytelling. Mm. Um, maybe some people missed a couple things in the plot, but. You know, who cares about these details when they can react and, and mm. empathize with the characters on, on the back screen, on that big screen? Yeah. Um, that's, that's what <laughs> kind of pulled us all together and, and made us want to talk about the film afterwards. Um, and I thought that was just beautiful. Um, and th- that's what I, I want to chase. Yeah, that's admirable how, for sure. <laughs> it really, it really is. Um, how has, so how has your experience with Cinnabur then affected your Mm -hmm. outlook on your own work um as a filmmaker and um what what has that experience like what have you taken away from that experience that affects your own art yeah so essentially the same question i just like phrase it two different ways (laughs) (laughs) Um, i i think it all goes back to to asking why again you know why am i a film like why am i making this film why? Why? <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, the answer has always been to screen it to a live audience, you know, to bring people together. I think cinema is, is crucial for social cohesion. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're, we're fighting for with Cinnabur. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're building community and supporting small businesses uh, through the power of cinema. And I think that informed my own work because rather than thinking, okay, you know, I want to say something and I'm going to... Think of all the creative ways I can say it and the lights look pretty and this and that, whatever. I'm thinking, okay, you know what? How can I maximize the emotion so everybody can understand what's going on here? You know, I, I, I don't know whether you studied film or mm-hmm. didn't go to university at all, didn't finish high school at all. I, I, I want you to understand what I'm feeling here. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's basic questions like that that I've started asking myself. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I think it's really important. I think it's, it's, it's very important. We get too lost in our art, I think. <laughs> we, and yeah. we take things too personally, honestly. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. we, we, we think, you know, just because we're given a, a chance to say something, we should. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, uh-huh. What I mean to say is... Yeah, no, I know what you mean. <laughs> Just because we have this means to be creative, it doesn't mean that we're, we're going to dissociate from, from the people who mm-hmm. are going to receive it at the end. Because yeah. I do think that a lot of people end up dissociating with, with their audience. And I think mm. 
it has the adverse effect of why you created the art to begin with, which is to try and, and relate to people, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think my film school is doing an extraordinary job in that because it's uh, strongly based on a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. And um, what this does as a consequence is it really stretches our limits to try and, and uh, come up with that ideal version of a script, let's say. Right. Uh, if, if we're doing a script consultation and I think I've grown very much because of these sessions because um, You realize that you do have something you want to say like fine sure but It might still be in a very tight box mm -hmm. <laughs> um, What feedback does Especially from audience feedback from other whatever kind of mm -hmm. feedback you get is at least it makes that box transparent You know so yeah, you can you see like what that, it is yeah. inside um, and I think, um, yeah, that, that's, that's really important. Otherwise, no, one, no one's going to read it. <laughs> yeah. What you do. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of like learning a language. It is. It is a lot like yeah. learning a language. We, we talked about, um, on our last episode with Shar Joyner, um, she, we, we, had, we got into this conversation about like intuition and like sticking okay. to, to something that you strongly feel like needs to stay or needs to go just you know following that like gut instinct um and how but also how it is important to receive that feedback so how is there is there a balance to sticking to your to that to that instinct and also oh, receiving yeah. other people's feedback like how how do you personally balance that and do you think one is more important than the other yeah. So really, really I one. realize like I would not be able to answer that question. So I apologize. <laughs> How often does that happen? I bet it happens a lot. You know. <laughs> um, well, I feel like especially in like writing uh, circles and like writing classes, especially because it's such a yeah. base level yeah. of the film, and, yeah. and it's before anything else has happened, and you're still throwing ideas around. But probably even in the edits too, what you were talking no, about. No, no, no. It's a it's a serious thing, and I. Yeah, I think it's a good question because uh, as much as I as I value audience feedback, as much as I value other people's feedback, um, and I try to implement it, I know that, you know, I have to distinguish between whether I'm not saying something clearly versus feedback that targets what I'm saying, you know? Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and I think that's that's an important distinction yeah. because many times you get feedback based on uh, commenting what you're saying or at least it addresses something that's not working and it indirectly affects what you're saying mm -hmm. um, and that just means that they didn't get what you were trying to say wh what you were trying to get at in the first place and that's fine that means you know you you need to work on on how you're transmitting a message or a theme or whatever yeah. um, yeah, so I'm, I'm very protective of that, trying to make sure that the reason I started is also what I'm going to end up with. Mm -hmm. But the how I'm transmitting that, that's, you know, malleable. That's, that, that's yeah, totally up for grabs. <laughs> that is freaking gold star advice because you just summed yeah. up two semesters of my college, my last <laughs> year in college, basically. That in, in my yeah. directing seminar. So, like, you literally just summed it up. So, people, <laughs> take note if you want to be a director. Take note. That's a, a really director. distinction. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. And, it, like you, you said earlier, it's uh, it's not personal. Mm -mm. 
I mean, some people are just jerks, but yes. <laughs> for the most part, for the most part, it's not personal. Mm-hmm. And um, people are just, it's, impo- it's important to have that kind of community and surround yourself with people who not only think like you, but also push you to think in other ways. Mm. So having like a balance of, of that. And like you said, being able to be pushed out of your comfort zone is really important. Um, as well so and and you said it it's it's some people are assholes because they're telling you what they don't like you know right but that kind of advice is kind of useless most of the times it's not about what you like or what you don't like it's about what works and Mm -hmm. what doesn't work Mm -hmm. um uh rafael kapolinski said that in in uh my my film school and i think that's really great advice yeah um it's actually kind of the it's it's the um the motto we have when we're reviewing films for Cinebr, it's got a subsidiary Cinebr Film Festival where filmmakers can actually submit their films yeah, to cool. screen them on the platform. Yeah, I think I it's, it's really cool. Yeah, it's really um, um, And again, with the curation team, we constantly have to remind ourselves, it's, it's not about you know, whether you like it or you don't, it's about, okay, what's working here? What isn't? Um, where do you lose the audience? You know, mm. where, where do you kind of lose a sense of voice here? Where, yeah. Things like that. Um, and sometimes when I'm thinking about like my own work, I don't like it either sometimes. <laughs> um, but I, I have to like remind myself what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think once I do that, yeah. then either I kind of appreciate what I've done or I change it along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, though, when, when I've you know, finished a project, I do want to have that sense of satisfaction, not in the craft, per se, but at least in the idea that I've stayed true to myself, you know, and my, in my own values. Um, probably, you know, the, the thing that irritated me most was this, like, one project in film school. It, was, it wasn't even, like, a project. It was just, like, a side exercise thing. But because I received feedback that kind of threatened the, the core idea mm-hmm. and the core reason I wanted to do something, um, and I reacted to that by changing something, the film ultimately didn't resonate with me mm-hmm. in the end. And I, I could not be proud of it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it was good or bad, I, I didn't even care anymore because yeah. it was just, it was not me. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, it's, it's really important that you kind of have that sense of, of yourself in your work, I, I think. I was just going to say, I think being genuine is really important for an artist. Yeah. It's so easy to, to use someone else's voice, huh? Oh, yeah. And we talked about this actually with Shar as well in our last mm. episode where it's like, it's so easy to, Rebecca and Shar were specifically talking about writing music the way you think somebody else, you know, what people want to hear. But the same is true for film. Like you, th- you can write a film that you think people it's the same kind of film that people are liking right now. So you think all movies have to be like... It's like a Wes Anderson sort of like... I was thinking of Wes Anderson. But you know, the thing with Wes Anderson though is that he's got such a vivid vision. It's so... It's so strong that... Meticulous, yeah. Sure, but like how does that inspire you? Like how do you get inspired? I... Me, personally? Or like generally? Yeah, yeah. I, I marvel at his world building and how precise every action is and every, everything in any composed shot including the movement of an of, of a background extras dog is decided ahead of time mm. 
And you can see that I've talked about this before, and we've we've linked it in other episodes. But it it the, there's a video about like how showing side by side his storyboard animatic with the Grand Budapest Hotel, and you can just see how it's basically the same thing. But but he, but what is so incredible about his stories is that they, to me there's nothing else like them out there. Like they're so individualistic and unique, but also so universal, yeah. heartfelt, funny, sad. And they're amazing to watch. You're sitting there and you're like, oh my God, how the fuck did they do this? <laughs> that's, that's true. And they get lost I mean is, in it. When you try to emulate something like that, don't you feel like you're just following someone else's voice? Well, so it's, it's really interesting because Wes Anderson is my favorite filmmaker, but the two films that I've made don't look anything like that. You know, I, I mean, Rebecca can talk about, well, the second one's not done yet, but Rebecca can talk about the way that they look. It's just like very, I think, I, th- I think I thought I wanted to make stuff like that, but everything I've made for myself is a lot more muted. I've always said, every, like, whenever Kara, you know, pitches an idea or a vision or when I've seen the finished film of what we what you just wrapped and then what mm-hmm. the early stages of what this next film is, I always say it's very Kara, because it is. <laughs> Thanks. It's like, I have no other way of describing it. It's Such very, a big compliment. It's very Kara, and... Um, I think I'm reminded of earlier in our conversation when you asked us, are you good? Do you think you're good? Like, like I said, like, what does that even mean? Like, what does good even mean? But I think being good is being authentic to yourself and, and Mm. following your vision and being unapologetic about that. And, um, yeah, (laughs) being genuine, (laughs) Sorry, I'm just like throwing out like power words. No, but I think authentic, genuine, powerful. Like, like also, like, like what you said about like being satisfied and proud about your work. Yeah. Um, like, cause who cares in the end what everyone else thinks? Unless, I mean, not in the sense where it's like you can't take feedback, but like if you're if you feel really adamant about something, yeah. and you feel like that is your true expression, yeah. Who cares if someone disagrees with that? Because you can never satisfy an audience 100%. There's always Absolutely. people who like it and yeah. don't like it. So as long as you are creating art that is true to yourself and true to what aligns with your vision, like I think that is what that makes you good. I, I have things that I actually hate. Like I like We all have <laughs> things that we look back on and we cringe oh, so sure. bad. Like. But that is not a marker of how good you are because have you learned something from that since then and have you grown since then and have you tried to be more authentic since then? I think if you're saying yes to all of those answers, you can confidently say, like, you are good. Whatever that means. We haven't really defined what good means, but yeah. <laughs> in yeah. that sense. Sorry, I kind of, like, went on a little so No, I love but... that. I love that. And I, I really love that you brought back the audience again, that – a good film doesn't mean that every audience member is going to feel the same way about it. Right. Um, and even even in Cinebra, I think this is probably one of the coolest parts about it. The films that we have on, on the platform, the ones that uh, hosts screen, tend to be conversation starters mm. by starting fights, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. and, and that's actually one of the best things about the experience of, of social movie going. Yeah. Because people have to talk about something yeah. that, that maybe bothers them, that maybe they disagree with. And, you know, there have been many times where I was, uh, where I noticed the host screening a film that 
I knew would have dividing opinions. But um, what we see from reviews and, and ratings is that everyone kind of feels that they get a fulfilling experience mm. simply because they go through this cathartic process of dis- discussing it with, with uh, the fellow moviegoers. And um, that's, that's still a good film, you know, <laughs> that still achieves that effect. Yeah. That's um, and that's all sourced from someone saying something that's true to them, you know, sharing, sharing a piece of their voice. Yeah. Um, and th- that's just beautiful. It reminds think. me of two things. It reminds me of an Aristotle quote that's like, drama is catharsis or whatever. Like, I'm mm-hmm. totally terribly paraphrasing. But like, <laughs> that's one of them. Also, um, who said it? Somebody said if everybody likes your thing, you did it wrong or something like that. There's some somebody, some someone said something like that it's like really vague of me but the point of the quote was that if everybody finds your piece agreeable or likes it then you probably did something wrong because there's no it's almost like apathetic right like if everyone's like oh that was fine but if someone's like moved to be like that was the worst blah blah you know and this is because this is why or someone says this is the best thing i've ever seen and this is why you're probably touching people and getting them to emote and that's awesome in my undergrad, I did a, a paper from a music history class on Arnold Schoenberg's second oh. string quartet. Who Arnold Schoenberg is an Austrian composer who's known for moving towards atonal music and really pioneering atonal music as uh, into the 20th century. And at the premiere of his second string quartet, there were literal like arrests and riots and people like like hating on this piece of music because they're like, this is not music. Like he needs to be thrown into a mental institution. But now we look back and we he's really revered for, for making the shift in Western music. And, you know, we look at him now as, as a real pioneer. Um, so that was just an interesting thought that I was reminded of. <laughs> I think it's so interesting that people have such, you know, when people are so moved to hate on a piece of art. But that, that feels so like there's so many things in this world that we could fix or get angry about politically, mm-hmm. social, economically speaking. But then for people to like feel this way about art is amazing. I mean, that's just like truly amazing to, 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 to say, no, this is not how we want to be represented through our in our generation. This is totally off topic of what we were talking about. But that's kind of what it reminds me of, you know, mm-hmm. to like respond in that way. And and, and, and I mean. John Waters faced the same kind of ridicule when he was making his early movies. People thought he was a kook, you know? They thought he was crazy. <laughs> and now he's, like, one of the most revered, amazing filmmakers ever. So, How closely do you associate the work of art with the artist? This is... Oh, such a good question. We, we always... Stephanie, too. Yeah. Oh. And, and um, that's so I think, funny. right? Was it Stephanie? It was definitely Stephanie. Um, and Rebecca, you know this, but this was, like, that class that I took in college um i took a class on this in college and there was no conclusion at the end of it It was one it was like a seminar Mm. class but i keep thinking about it i don't know the answer is i don't know Mm. because i i tend to kind of avoid thinking of the artist or his personal life or her personal life and i i try and see a work of art Mm -hmm. um as it stands on its own two feet if it can you know yeah um, and the thing like, can, like can it, can it stand without? But it's also the it's it depends on the artist too. Some some of them they're very separate from from who they are, and some of it is it's very attached to their identity. 
But see, I don't care as a viewer, you know? Yeah. I, at least that's a mindset I have. Um, because some... I know that not everyone is probably going to be, I don't know, whether it's privilege or interest or curiosity even. But like, I know most of the people who experience a work of art experience it by projecting their own lives yeah. to it, you know? If they can, if it resonates with them. And I, yeah, yeah I, I, I think I'm leaning towards that, but I'm still kind of on the fence. For some things, if you know the backstory, it embellishes that piece and elevates it to a new level that you might not under, have understood before and suddenly things change in that piece from your first initial reaction. But also as an artist, you have to ask yourself, like, are you just going for that first initial reaction that somebody has towards your piece? Or do you want a more meditate? Are you looking for people to really truly meditate? And I think this is like a breakaway between fine arts and performance arts, you know? But then also time. I think about time's impact on a piece because a lot of pieces far outlive their creators. So you cannot know what's like some Renaissance Italian painter, what his life was because you might not have the documents. You might not even know when he was truly or she was truly Mm. born. And you can't, you know, then you can't relate, but it's still a great piece of art. Mm -hmm. So it's... Um, I had that conversation with my when I was writing the Schoenberg Schoenberg paper and I was Mm. discussing with my composition teacher who was a different professor for my history class and he was like, well, how do you know what Schoenberg was thinking during this piece? Because I was doing a whole like uh, analysis of it. And I was like, oh, well, you know, his notes say this. But he's like, but how do you like really know? Like we will never know. We will never know. He will only know. And like, so does it matter? (laughs) And so then that kind of like threw me into a whole like existential crisis. (laughs) Will like, I pass my class? I Will I have but, an A on this paper? But I was like, I have five days to change my paper. But beside that, it kind of like reminds me of like what you say earlier is like how your core value is is making your art connect with an yeah. audience. And so does does it matter then what the artist puts into it if what you want to come out of it is to connect with others? I, I just think, you know, once the work is created, it doesn't... The artist is irrelevant, honestly. Um, I, you, like, you don't need to speak Italian to know what Maria Callas is singing, you know, when right, right. she's singing Puccini or something. It, it just, you know, you know. Um, it Probably you know it differently from the person sitting next to you, listening to that same song, but you know it. <laughs> Uh, and and no one can really take that away from you, I think. Um, I think maybe part of art's function is misunderstanding it, you know. Maybe that's that's part of the end goal. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a lot coming from me. I'm the type of person who, I hate that idea of being misunderstood. I hate the idea of, like, being talked about or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, like, I think it's just accepting it. Um, and if it is truly a, a, a great piece of art... You have to just let it go. Um, at least that's what I think. Mm. Well, but you were saying something. Yeah, go. How go much of it is also like, I mean, how many people have said this, that like once you've made it and it's out in the world, it's no longer yours. That also uh, plays into it, you know? Like people are going to interpret it however they interpret it, right? So. I don't know. I, I, I wish... I have those problems of debating that, you know, when I when I get the chance to make films. <laughs> Cuz Elephas keeps all the films. 
Yeah, freaking LFS. Yeah, they, own, yeah. they, they own it. So you truly do not no longer own it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, did you ever get to... By the way, I, I've screened Yusuf's Fug in a, in oh, a you cinema have. screen. Yeah, yeah. This is, I just I, showed Kara. We'll put this under the rug. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good film. But, uh, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah? Yeah. The, yeah. I, I wanted to test it out in the live audience and... The feedback was was very positive. It yeah. was really interesting how people interpreted that, um, but uh, even even small technical things like timing wise, mm. like I didn't think you know timing was such a big thing, but like people really appreciated its its length. Sure. Like, yeah. how much can you say in three minutes? Uh, how much can you show? Whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, there are a lot of things. Obviously, I would I would want to change or add actually mm-hmm. to to mm-hmm. that. I feel like it's unfinished. There's one scene missing. I'll tell you That's part of the beauty of of creating is like knowing, okay, I I could have changed that, but now you know going forward, like you learn something because of that. And talk about like putting yourself outside of the comfort zone, like that film for me definitely put me outside of my comfort zone. As to (laughs) Kara's film, I wrote a punk rock song for the for the end credits. Uh, that's what I enjoy about putting myself outside the comfort zone. I'm sure you both can agree is because mm-hmm. you take away something from that. And that's what I took from your project. And everyone who worked on that took away something from that project, including mm. you. For anybody who hasn't seen the film, which I'm guessing is most people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Considering. <laughs> yeah. Really it, it, <laughs> it basically just follows a composer who's struggling through writer's block. And um, it kind of shows the conflict between mm-hmm. uh, his culture clash f- because he's uh, of Arab background um, and yet he's trying to make Western music and there's this kind of fusion of uh, West and East uh, sounds. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you owned it, honestly, especially because we were both kind of laymen in, in this kind of uh, area, right? Uh, and, and we mm-hmm. did some research. We did a lot was, of research, yeah. Yeah, which was really yeah. cool. It was really cool, and in addition to that factor of it being a fusion score, it was also, at large, very meta-diegetic, which was mm-hmm. something that was what does kind of daunting at first. Meta, would you like to explain? I know you really like meta stuff, Dodi, so... <laughs> no, I mean you're the what you're the one who wrote slap. a paper on it, right? I wrote a paper. I that was my yeah. thesis. I should okay. Like non diegetic music is like an underscore, like music that does not exist in the narrative. Yeah. Diegetic music is music that exists in the narrative. Like if someone's playing the piano and you hear that. Yeah, or someone has like the radio. Or on. If someone has the radio on, or in dancing in a club. Yeah. Or in a saloon. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, Meta- throw down. <laughs> Meta diegetic is like when the music is existing from their like inner psyche, mm. or if they're like having a dream, or mm. if they're daydreaming. Um, it's it's the music that we hear, that we feel like is coming from inside. It's it's 100%. also like, kind of like how you interpret it. Like what is meta, but yeah. <laughs> it's well, largely no. based on interpretation. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, in 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 a very rough explanation, that's what. I take metadiegetic music to be. Yeah. I mean, these are not easy concepts to try and... I mean, they're easy concepts to talk about, but they're not easy to kind of reproduce, mm-hmm. um, especially when, when you've got a piece of work in front of you. And like you said, Rebecca, it was a major challenge to try and compose for something that's already been done. 
that was one of those things where, you know how in life you do something and you don't know how it's going to work out, but you have faith <laughs> you'll find a solution <laughs> along the way. Yeah, that was full on faith there. It, um, it, it works really, really well in this piece, I think, yeah. as an outside third person. I, I was proud of the, the work that we did on it. And um, yeah, I think um, I'm excited to see like what else you have to bring to the table. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> You're like same. <laughs> but talk about like like I said like putting yourself outside the comfort zone. I mean, do you want to write and direct, or do you just want to direct? I think like one of the first things that uh, we had talked about was um, was it passion? Yeah. Was it, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I, I I said it from the very beginning that I kind of had like regardless of my background, I kind of ended up in the creative industry simply because. I want that channel of creativity, you know, um, and, you know, whether it's making films, making music, making whatever in the future, I, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. I'm still very young. Um, but yeah, like as close as I can get towards feeling like I can channel as much of my creative side as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's very, that's, that comes close to, you know, my, my passion. And I think yeah. writing and directing is has so far proven to be um, yeah. that, yeah. But again, like, my, yeah, yeah, my, my passion, again, lies, lies in my work. I mean, mm-hmm. when, when we say projects, films do take a long time, mm-hmm. but, like, I feel like my, my startup is probably more representative of, of mm-hmm. my work simply because I've had to have more endurance <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> because yeah, it's taken yeah. such a long time, yeah. and it's so hard to kind of adapt to the different time scales yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, i mean yeah simply because things just take forever and it's so hard when projects take longer than expected mm-hmm. to maintain that drive not not drive uh, to maintain that same sense of vision yeah. um yeah. and make sure that even if you're adapting even if you're pivoting even if you're changing stuff along the way that you are still going to end up in that you know that place where you you wanted to start with um yeah or you started where you wanted to end up with um but yeah rebecca was like oh yeah new music goes so quickly i was like unrelate i can't relate (laughs) (laughs) what'd you say at the beginning you mentioned how quick like your turnaround time was for the project you were working on right now and i was like you can't relate like everything everything in film takes so long i mean i well i it's just different aspects it's different there are composers i've worked on my musical for three years now that's Uh, true that's fair there's people who work on operas i think no totally totally but but i also we've talked about this before where like music is not often given the opportunity to like it comes down like you know you get to it because it's usually typically a last stage of a film you get it very late and then you have a very quick deadline approach yeah which in a way is very invigorating and i love that because for me sometimes I think that's why I can't just do film music is because for, yeah. for me creatively it's not sustainable yeah. because I, I love to ruminate on things and I yeah. love their their projects and music I've been sketching and writing down that have been years in the making and with film you don't get that opportunity which is why I love working with scripts when I can and getting those ideas out earlier in the process but yeah. we don't always get that luxury. But then again, I like it. It's just a weird balance. You know, it's, film music is just different. Kara, do you think you're going to stick to films? 
Because you strike me as a very creative person as well. You She's know? so creative. And she yeah. Um, I, I, in addition to film, she embroiders and a- animates mm. and draws, and oh, I'm into makes um, stamps and. I mean, all these things called? you're listing, I'm like surrounded by them on my desk. She is. I feel a little and she writes. I mean, she writes and she's a music lover. She's inspired. She's, she is a creative person. Thanks. That makes me really warm, Rebecca. <laughs> I feel like I, 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 um, that's really hard. When I, when I was in school for it, I, I, unlike other people, I always felt like it was kind of a fluke because. I had a friend in high school that I admired so much and she was going to study film in London and that was the first time I like when I was a sophomore or junior I was like wait you can study film that's like a thing you can do like (laughs) wait and it kind of unlocked this idea for me you know and I started like seriously doing it and when I got into NYU I, I got in like delayed like I had to do a year of liberal studies and then I matriculated into film so that was very interesting for me I, I read a lot of like quote-unquote great works of western and eastern uh, philosophy um, which I think was great for my freshman year in particular and then whatever everything happens for a reason kind of thing and I didn't do any drawing or painting or craft style art my entire time I was in college I dabbled a little bit in film photography and a little bit which is like regular photography but I, I felt like I never really had any time to do it and New York is also such a place like I'm the worst person to ask if you should move to New York because my answer is going to be shitty like I just have no good opinion of, I mean I, I love New York like you can tell I I love New York because yeah or I I, you can tell I love I New York it. because I hate it yeah which is such a which is such an act like I feel like which is like what the, it's like the, have you seen pretend it's a city with um 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 Fran um what's Leibovitz is that her last name it's she's a she's a essayist a writer she's great it's, a, it's all about New York. She's like the most New York person ever. It's a Mark, it's a Martin Scorsese documentary and he interviews her. And it's very much about their relationship, but it's on Netflix. Anyway, um, that's how I feel about it. You can, I, I, the more and more I live away from it in Connecticut, the more and more I might not, I feel like I don't really want to return. But I don't want to go to LA either. Anyway, sorry, this is such a fucking rant. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> anyway, do I feel like I'm going to do film for my life? <laughs> sorry. I just like when I when I dream at night. Yes, when I dream at night. Yes, that's Thank my. Thank you so much for coming on, Jody. Uh, Any last really lingering? Thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> Don't we all? Don't listen. That's why. That's why people persona. Um, but we would love it if you could just sign off, say your name. Uh, where people can find you, uh, and maybe um, what did I? It's like a <laughs> meme moment. Um, and also where people can find more information about Cinnabar. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Dodiel Gabri. Um, thanks again, Rebecca and Kara. I had so much fun in this podcast. Um, I'd love for for you guys to check out Cinnabar. Um, you can go on cinnabar.com. Um, or, you know, just follow us on our socials, even that little show of support. That's really cool. Um, but yeah, if, if you're interested in the cinema going revolution, <laughs> yeah. then, you know, follow, follow Cinnabur, yeah, um, and, and you can discover more on there. Um, but yeah, most of all, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing your guys' work 
um, and seeing how we can grow together and, and keep on sharing. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, especially like that process too, you know? <laughs> yeah. And like you said, what you're hoping to do or what you have done with Cinnabur is the, all that community. Yeah, and we love that's that. exactly that's what our, is part of our mission yeah. over here as well. So, um, anything you have going forward, please share it with us. We'd love to, to share it on our end as well. So thank you so much to Dodie for coming on the show. We really enjoyed having you on. If you'd like to learn more about Dodie and his work with Cinnabur, you should definitely go check them out on Instagram. Cinna, C-I-N-E, Burr, Cinnabur. Um, <laughs> and um, you can also find Dodie on Instagram at Dodie L. Gabry, D-O-D-D-I-E-L-G-A-B-R-Y. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It was it was truly amazing to, to chat and to have a... I think a very like like academic kind of intellectual conversation about the arts in general. So I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. that. Um, if you would like to be featured on this podcast, uh, you can send us an email at thepodcastimperfect at gmail.com or you can write to us on Instagram, which is thepodcastimperfect at, yeah, just at thepodcastimperfect, uh, where we'll also be sharing more about information about Dodi and his startup when this episode drops you can also find everything about our previous art previous guests there um if you'd like to follow me i'm quiet open space all one word and i'm rebecca nisco music on instagram my name's rebecca (laughs) (laughs) and my name's kara and together we're the hosts of the podcast imperfect Thank you. So, you know what? We're going to oh keep it God. in. This is a rough and, you know, a one take, as they like to say. Um, yes. <laughs> thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.